Good morning, everyone. So we're reading from Revelation uh, 21 and 22, uh, pages uh, 1252 and 1253. That's actually the second last page in the Bible, so pretty easy to find. Starting at uh, Revelation 21, verse 1 to 8. All right, here we go. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will, be the, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will, there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated at the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for, those, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, this is the second death. So let's move on to Revelation 22, uh, verse 6 to 21, just on the next page. Start with the chapter that says, or the section that starts with John and the angel, starting at verse 6. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash, their, who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, 
Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Thank you, Hein. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Book of Revelation, here we go. I haven't preached on Revelation for quite a while. Um, and it's worth saying, um, most preachers you find preach on chapters 1 to 3 and the last two chapters, and they kind of chicken out of the 17 chapters in the middle. Um, and the ones who do preach on the 17 in the middle often are like the nutty professor. Um, so anyway, I'm going to just do 20, 21 and 22. I'm going to take one of the difficult chapters, but let's pray as we think about the return of our wonderful Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for these wonderful words of encouragement, but also challenge. And we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us, that we might be ready if the Lord comes back today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about the issue of waiting. And there's no doubt, there's a fair bit of life spent waiting for people to arrive. Now, I reckon you can categorise people into two groups, those who get there early and those who don't. And you probably know who you are. Um, if you come to our staff meetings, we know who they are. Um, it's just part of life. There's some people who just like to be there early and they end up waiting for those who don't like being there early. Now, when you think about waiting for people to arrive, um, I was thinking about the people who've arrived here in Manly. Um, and as we wait... Um, who are some of the big names that have arrived? In my time here, I've been here nine years. Uh, I remember Beyonce turned up. There's a bit of a fuss and uh, noise. Um, I don't know if you know who Red Foo is. He was on one of the reality TV shows as a judge. His song, Ridiculous, was filmed literally out the front of the church. Um, they managed to, unfortunately, cut any picture of St Matthews out of the video. But if you want to have a look at Manly, uh, go and look up Red Foo, Ridiculous Song, and you'll see the Manly Corso in all of its brilliance. Um, I remember also uh, other people turning up. The Great Race, uh, that famous TV show, appeared in Manly and there's a bit of a fuss. Could you get down and see what was happening? But I reckon the biggest people to arrive in Manly were who? In the last nine years? William and Kate. You don't even have to say their surnames or their titles. We all know William and Kate. And it was a very fascinating week that week. Uh, it's the week Mike Baird started as treasurer and ended as premier. Um, and in the middle of it, William and Kate turned up. It was over Easter back in 2014. And uh, there's a picture of Kate looking typically princess-like amongst a typical bunch of manly people, um, our wonderful manly lifesavers. And it was such a beautiful event to be at and see her. And this is the great view I had. I remember looking at Kate in the distance, and that's my camera. Those other ones weren't my camera. And I reckon she was about that big in my vision. 
uh, as I squinted and I could see, I think that's a princess over there. And I'm not normally kind of a royal follower, uh, and I'm not, I'll be honest, but I got caught up in the euphoria of Prince and William, uh, Kate and William coming to Manly, and I went down and I lined up, and the most exciting thing was where I was was right near where the car went past. Unfortunately, she didn't wind down the window to do the royal, you know, she's not the queen. But uh, it was very exciting. And I got within three metres of the car she was in and I kind of felt special, so anyway. <laughs> now, it was a big deal in Manly, no doubt. And it was a beautiful day. You can see the um, sky there. It was uh, in the Easter period in April. And everyone kind of stopped for a moment. But let me just say, as big as that event was for Manly, and it was broadcast around the world and it was great for Manly in terms of tourism, uh, it is just nothing compared to the great day when the Lord Jesus is going to return. And that is going to be the day where literally the whole world stops. And that's what we've been thinking about with this Advent series. Uh, Advent means to come. And we typically, as you do an Advent series in kind of traditional churches, think about the coming first time of the Lord Jesus. But it's also a time to stop and remember, as he came once, he's going to return a second time. And so we've been looking at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the last three chapters of Revelation. And you may be familiar with them, you may not be. Uh, Chapter 21 and 22, the last two are fairly familiar to people, but chapter 20 is one that's fairly controversial. We're going to have a small look at that. Uh, But it's worth saying, Revelation is a wonderful book. It was written to a group of Christians who were suffering significantly. And it's written in kind of a code language. Because they were suffering... Um, and there's a lot of opposition and persecution from the Romans, people have been put to death in prison, etc., etc. Um, you've got symbolism, you've got codes, and it's a book you've got to see. So if you take Romans or the other letters, it's a book you listen to and think about the logic of it and what's being said. Revelation is a book that is seen, and John is given a vision that he sees. And the word to describe it is apocalyptic. It's what actually you get the word revelation from. And there's beasts, there's numbers, there's colours, there's candles, there's all sorts of things. And it's worth saying, you can't take it too literally. You need to actually literally believe it, but don't believe it literally. Do you get that? Literally believe this book is real, but don't believe it literally. And I'll give you one example just from numbers, because we're going to look at a number. If I've said to you, I've told you uh, twice, I've told you how many times? Twice. If I said... Scott, I've told you a dozen times, get to staff meeting on time. Now, Scott's always early, it's worth saying. Uh, I won't pick on the staff member who's not always early. Uh, But if I've said to him, I've told you a dozen times, how many times have I told him? Lots. Because dozen is just a shorthand way, symbolically in our language, to say lots of times. And I say that because we're going to come to a number which is a number which is very similar to that. And the numbers in Revelation act like that. I'm not going to go through them all. That's for another day. But what I do want to say is, as we come to the return of the king, and as we look at these last three chapters, which are powerful, uh, there's three things I want us to think about as we finish this series on the return of Jesus. Firstly, judgment. There's no doubt that this will be one of the significant things that takes place. It's the judgment of the world. Secondly, it's renewal. And so there's this whole revelation of the way the creation is going to be renewed. It's incredible. And lastly, it is a book and it's a passage which gives us great hope. 
Let's think firstly about judgment. And if you've got your Bibles open, we're on page 1,252. We're right up the back. And I'm at Revelation 20. It's the section that is often um, talked about in terms of millennialism, which is just a word for a thousand. Uh, and you see here that Satan is bound for a thousand years. It's worth saying it's a number which is symbolic. A thousand is ten times ten times ten. Uh, ten being a great number, it's just an immense number. And Satan is bound for an immense amount of time. And what is if I can say, tent-pegged either side of this number is there's a resurrection to start it, there's a resurrection which finishes it. We're in that thousand-year period now. The last days have been going on since the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see that in the first speech in Acts chapter 2. We're in the last days, we're in this thousand-year period. And what happens? Well, Revelation 20 paints this very powerful, and I want to say it's a confronting picture of God's judgment. And I do want to say, to speak of the judgment of God is not an easy thing to do. It's not a topic that you, in a sense, delight in. There's something wrong, I think, if you delight in this. Though, there's a significance that is so very important. There's a facet and a character of God which is that He is just. And it's incredibly important, His justice. You see, we believe in judgment because we believe in justice. We believe that wrongs should be righted. It's a very fundamental principle in our world that we live in. And I think if you talk to most people, they'd agree you need and you actually desire justice to operate in this world. As soon as you say that, that you want justice, then you're also saying you want judgment to fall because that's the outworking of justice. Think with me about two royal commissions. We've just finished one. Because people wanted justice. And there's numerous people who have been held to account. Judgment has fallen. One of the great questions that's being raised is, will there really be any significant judgment to bear upon what has been uncovered in the Royal Commission? And let me just say, we've always said, uh, within the Anglican Church in Sydney, we welcomed it because it is such an important topic. And if we've done things wrong, they need to be brought to light. Because we want justice for victims. And we want judgment to come. And this is an outworking of the character of God. You see, we're not atheistic evolutionists that just believe that the strong prosper. It's worth saying, um, Adolf Hitler loved the whole idea of the evolution of the human species. And you see the unfolding injustice that flowed, that needed the world to bring him to account. We have a Royal Commission into banks because we want justice for victims. I read in the paper just this week uh, that a financial employee of one of the big four banks had just been convicted of knowingly, intentionally forging 18 signatures of clients to benefit his practice. He was given a $3,000 fine, a slap on the wrist. And you see, the victims of that particular trader are going, where is the justice? Now, what the Christian faith proclaims is there is a great need for justice and a great need for judgment. It will only ever finally come on the last day when the Lord Jesus is revealed. And he will bring justice and judgment. 
Have a look at verse 7 of chapter 20. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. And it's worth saying, um, when you look and read Revelation, there's symbolism in numbers, there's parallels with Rome, and there's pictures and concepts from the Old Testament all brought together. And you need to understand the Old Testament What's happening in Rome and the symbolism to get it? And it's interesting, Gog and Magog referred to in the Old Testament, symbolically. They marched across the breadth of the earth and they surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. And so there's this picture of this kind of great battle at the end where Satan comes to destroy God's people. And I just want you to note what verse 9 concludes with. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. very short isn't it there's no battle it's just over satan comes out thinking he can come and conquer and destroy god's people and literally like that fire descends and the battle is over and that is what we're dealing with here we're dealing with the creator and the maker and the sustainer of this entire universe who will destroy evil really in a breath it's not like Star Wars where you've got the force and kind of the dark side and they battle and you see as the series goes through, it's kind of one wanes and then the other wanes and it's backwards and forwards and you wonder who's going to win in the end. No, the devil and evil will be brought to justice in an instant. It will be swift. What follows, verse 11, is the great final judgment of the world. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. So you've got two books, the books which account for the people of the earth and then there's a book of life. The dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books, that's the general books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's worth saying it's symbolic language of hell. Jesus used numbers of different images, uh, including darkness, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the reality is there to warn us, to make us afraid, if I can say that, um, that there is a reality to judgment and standing against him. The thing to note is, um, unless your name's in the book of life, no one survives. So the books, when they're opened and people's lives are taken into account and brought to judgment, all of them basically don't survive. We are not good enough, is the basic message of the Bible. Our sin will find us out on this final day. It's not a topic that's easy to talk on because we're talking about real people with real lives, friends, loved ones, relatives who don't know the Lord Jesus. And the great warning here, and it is a warning, is that they will be brought to justice and judgment will follow with death and hell. 
And so after Satan is defeated, the great judgment at the end of the age begins for all humanity. And the only escape, the only salvation, is having your name written in the book of life. Now the book of life, earlier on in chapter 13 verse 8, is the Lamb's book of life. It's the book that the Lord Jesus holds. And it really is symbolic of those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who bowed the knee to him as Lord and accepted him as Saviour. Their names are in that book. And I take it for all of us here today who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. We call him Lord and our Saviour. Our names will be in there. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who will rescue us. It's a day when the godless will be held to account. It's a day for the unbelievers to be held to account. It's a day when the self-righteous who see no need for Jesus will be held to account. Only we who are trusting in the Lord Jesus will survive. And that is the great warning of the end of the book. Jesus will come to bring judgment on the world. But secondly, you get this contrasting and incredible picture of renewal. And so after the judgment's taken place, there is this renewal that takes place for the people of God. The devil came and tried to destroy them, and he was judged. And we read there in chapter 21 of Revelation, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, a couple of things to note. Um, We often talk about going to heaven. Uh, A better phrase is actually, our great hope is actually the new creation. Um, Life in eternity will not be on clouds, in case you're worried. You see this vision of heaven and earth, and it's a renewal that takes place. There is a new creation. You see, we will be embodied people in eternity. We'll be resurrected people with resurrection bodies. And we will live in community together in the new creation. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. The difference is, and you'll see this as we read through, um, currently, God resides in heaven. Now, I'm not going to try and describe the reality of that spatially and how that relates to us spatially, but he is in heaven And the Lord Jesus is in heaven as a man, the resurrected Lord Jesus. What changes is, you see, we have to, by faith, believe that he's there, don't we? We can't see him yet. But what will happen is heaven will actually invade earth and God will dwell with us. Now, interestingly, the imagery that you've got here in Revelation 21 and 22, do you know where it comes from? Genesis 1 to 3. And you'll see here later on, it talks about the tree of life that the nations brings healing to. And you see in Revelation, God walked with man and woman in the garden. And this picture is restored at the end, but it's now a new creation and there's not a garden, but there's a city. And that's the great journey the Bible takes us on. We go from the garden to the city. And I love what it says. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he'll dwell with them. Now, it's worth saying about the city, uh, the new Jerusalem, the city is actually prepared as a bride. And so, again, literally believe it, don't read it literally. It's imagery for the people of God. We are the city of God in the new creation. 
We are the bride of Christ. And that's what Ephesians talks about. And you see, the people of God descend into this renewed heaven and earth. And look, God's dwelling place is now amongst us. There's no longer a separation where we have to look by faith to see God in heaven and know that Jesus, the resurrected one, will return there. He's now amongst us. He dwells with us. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away from their eyes every tear. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I want you to hear this, I'm making everything new. I want you to think about this and the renewal that is coming. The world that we live in is one filled with injustice, it's filled with pain, and it's filled with suffering. And what is going to happen is, after the judgment of God comes, justice will be brought to bear, and there'll be a renewal, and suffering and pain will be gone. And there's no doubt there is suffering and pain that is self-inflicted, but so much of the suffering we experience and the pain does appear at times to be random, unexplained, unfair. When cancer strikes, why this person, not another? When innocent people get ripped off, why? When disease strikes early, when Christians are mocked for their faith and we think, where are you, God? When evil appears to win and the ungodly prosper, we say, where are you? This is not fair. And what John says prophetically to us, John wrote the book of Revelation, he says, God is going to make everything new. Crying will be gone when Jesus returns. Pain will be gone when Jesus returns. Sickness will be gone when Jesus returns. Cancer will be gone. I've just been up to Townsville to visit my father's grave, first time in 50 years. Random car crashes like the one that killed my father indiscriminately will be gone. All things will be made new. And you see, what this book is saying to us is hang in there. God will actually be the victor at the end. It's worth waiting faithfully and patiently for the great day when the Lord Jesus returns. And you see, we've got to keep remembering this life really is very brief in comparison to eternity. And on that great day, this world will be renewed wonderfully. And one of the things as you read through it is the language is there using symbols and it speaks of the jewels and the gold and to really describe it is just magnificent. That's what the symbolism is trying to do to us as you think and look at it. It's saying to you, this is worth waiting for. It's far greater than anything on offer in this world. And it should give you a strength in the midst of your pain. It doesn't, in a sense, explain our suffering, but it certainly gives us hope in our suffering. It gives us strength as we go through trial and opposition to wait patiently. And there's no better illustration of this than the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, I wonder if you are aware of this guy, Horatio Spafford. They had great names back then. Um, And he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. I wanted to sing it today, but we'd sung it two weeks ago, so I thought we won't sing it two weeks in a row. Um, And it's a wonderful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. 
Let me tell you about Horatio Spafford's life, who wrote the song. Uh, he had bought property. He was in New York, moved to Chicago, bought property. It all got wiped out by the Chicago fire. He had five children, four girls and a son. His son was killed through disease. He thought he would send his family uh, and they'd go on a trip to Europe from America. He was due to go with them on the boat. It was a French liner. But some business things happened and so he said, I'll come on one of the next ships. His wife and four daughters go on the ship. Four days out from uh, where they left in the east coast of America, the ship collided with another ship unexpectedly and the ship that his wife and daughters were on sank. 226 on board. Very few survivors. His wife survived. All four daughters perished. He was notified and a famous telegraph was sent by his wife and it simply said, saved alone. He got on the next ship out of port and went to be with them because they're now over in Europe. And the ship's captain kindly stopped and notified Horatio when they got four days out from port, this is where your family perished. And he was inspired to write the song, It Is Well With My Soul, at that point on the journey. And it's an incredibly powerful song. I mean, we often think they might be sitting in the fields and just thinking nice thoughts about life and they come up with these beautiful words. No, this was written as he mourned the loss of four of his five children having previously buried his eldest son. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's an incredible testimony to the trust that Horatio had in the living God. But note how this song finishes. Um, Sometimes we cut it short. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And you see, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the renewal of all things for those who are waiting for him, is great and glorious and it strengthens us to persevere and be patient even in the midst of great loss and suffering. But thirdly, it gives us hope. And you see, we all live for something, don't we? That's the reality of the human soul, the human condition. We, we live for the next day, the next year, to what lies beyond us. It's what gives us energy to get up in the mornings. Hope is a foundational human experience. And the return of Christ is the great hope for the Christian, that we believe he is coming back to renew all things and save us from the judgment of God. And it's really powerful the way this incredible book finishes. And I just want to read, I want to preach to you the words. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And let me just stop for a moment on that that they are trustworthy and true. Why do you believe in the return of Christ is a good question to ask yourself. And I've been asking that of myself this week. Why do I believe he's going to come back? And I'll give you one word, resurrection. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ I believe he will return. 
You see, the most monumentous event in history so far is the resurrection. It's when Christ came and died for our sins and conquered death itself. And it's been witnessed to in all eternity in the historical pages of the New Testament by those who saw him and ate with him and touched him and spoke with him and listened to him, resurrected. It's a real event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by real people within real history. And this resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all, who conquered death, has gone back to heaven, where he currently is to this day, in his resurrection body, and he will come back. And that's why I believe he will come back, because he's already come back from the dead. And he will come back from heaven the way he departed to heaven, on the clouds. And the thing to note is this, he came in incredible humility the first time. And we celebrate that at Christmas. But when he comes back, it will be in glory. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And it's worth saying in terms of soon, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years to us. It may be today. Hallelujah. I I felt kind of guilty. I was thinking, when do I pray actually for the Lord to return? And the most fervent times I've prayed for the Lord's return was when I was at Moore College and we sat our theology exams. And for half an hour before each exam, we would pray, Jesus, come back. (laughs) Please deliver me. (laughs) And it's funny how after the exam had finished, we stopped praying that. Every year. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they've done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice the magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves falsehood and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit is actually calling the son and the bride, that's us, the people of God, are calling, come. Let the one who hears say, come. But note this, let the one who is thirsty come. In other words, if you don't know the Lord Jesus yet, it's not too late. You come It's calling both ways. We're calling Jesus to come. We're calling people to come to Jesus. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, let them come. It's a wonderful word of grace that the the scripture finishes on. If you're here today and you're not sure if you're ready, and that's the question you've got to ask yourself, are you ready for him to come back? Scripture doesn't say, oh, it's too late. God doesn't say, oh, Sucks to be you. (laughs) No, he says, come. It's not too late. My son has died. He's risen. He's going to come back. Are you thirsty? Do you want to know God in your life? Do you want the protection from the judgment of God over your life? Do you want meaning and purpose in your life? The forgiveness of your sins. Come. Come to the Lord Jesus today. And I'm going to give an opportunity for people to come very shortly. 
You see, that's the way it finishes. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. I want to finish by just reflecting on what we do to get ready for arrivals and whether we're patiently waiting for his arrival. I asked my wife, my lovely wife, to write down a list of all the stuff she does to get us ready as a family for Christmas and she just started writing and writing and writing and uh, she said about four times in here, make a list, make a list, make a list, make a list. In other words, even in the list, there's lists still to be generated with other lists and there's so many things we get involved in at Christmas time. It's a wonderful time, you know. I love this one. Bug family members about six weeks out about food and presents. (laughs) Needs to happen. And we do all these things to get ready to remember his first coming, but the question is, are we ready for his second coming? That's actually far more significant. And what we need to do to be ready for his second coming, to have accepted Christ as our Lord and Saviour ourselves and be living for him, waiting patiently because you see here twice mentioned chapter 21 chapter 22 there's a division of people between those who are waiting patiently who are living for the Lord Jesus and those who aren't and those who aren't will be cast out and my encouragement to you is get your life ready today for Jesus return as you remember his first coming and all the list of things you've got for Christmas And I want to stop and just call us to prayer now. And I want to invite us just to close our eyes as we conclude. And I want to ask the question, if he were to come back today, would you be ready? It's a very important question to ask. Because he will come back someday, and it may be today, may not be for 50 years, may not be for 100 years, may not be for 500, who knows? But would you be ready to meet the Lord today? And you'll know if you're ready because you're living with Jesus as your Lord and Saviour today. That's how you get ready. It's not a long list. It's coming to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And if you're not ready, I want to pray for you. and I want to invite you to come to him right now. And if you want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ this day, I just want to invite you to put your hand up and say, look, I need to come to him because there's something helpful about saying, I need to come because I need to be ready. And I want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. So as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, do you hear the Spirit calling you today to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Just raise your hand. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are wanting to come that you would help them to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Saviour. May they open their hearts. May you come to them as as they come to you. Help them to live with Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.